The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. In two days, we will be celebrating our nation's 247th birthday. As you all know the story, in 1776, 56 men came together to make a declaration that would forever change the course of the world. And so on July 3rd, 1776, John Adams, he wrote this to his wife, Abigail. Uh, He wrote this letter to her, and he says this. Independence Day will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. He goes on to say, he says, you may think that I'm transported with enthusiasm. Again, remember, this is a day before they would sign the Declaration of Independence. He says, but I am not. He said, I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the doom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means. And so just as an aside, John Adams, he's one of my favorite uh, 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 founding fathers. But uh, on this day, though, July 4, 1776, these 56 men, they came together despite the looming gallows that laid before them. And they picked up the quill and they affixed their name to the Declaration of Independence. To declare with a determined solidarity that we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. And in doing so, these men, they absolved their allegiance to the British crown, and they casted off their former identity as a British colony. And then also, they put on their newfound identity as American citizens, pledging to one another their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Why, why do I share that to you this morning? Not just to be a good patriotic American, uh, but I share that this morning because in our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, you can turn there with me. Uh, as we're working through the book of Ephesians together, we're at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. But this morning, the Apostle Paul, he reminds us, figuratively speaking, of our own 1776 moment. Of that moment in our lives when we renounced our allegiance to sin, to self, and to the world. And when we confessed our allegiance to King Jesus. And so as his followers now, we are called to put off the old self, to let go of our former identity as children of disobedience. And we are called now to put on the new self, to live in our newfound gospel identity as children of God. And so with that being said, let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And, and, and just as a reminder, church, after this, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord and you'll respond with thanks be to God. So let's read. 
Now, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this prayer is not just a transition time into the sermon. It's not perfunctory. We, we confess that what we sung before, it is true. Lord, we need you every hour. We need you right now. I need you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. That you would cause the truth of your word to be lodged within us. And through that, that we would be changed by your truth. We pray all of this for Christ's sake, in his name, for his glory and our good. Amen. Amen. All right, so first we see the first point this morning. The Apostle Paul says that we are to put off your old self. Put off your old self. And we see that in verses 17 through 19. And you'll note in verse 17, the Apostle Paul, he says, you must no longer walk. And so what that means is he's saying you must no longer maintain your formal, former way of conduct. That your manner of life, it should not reflect the value systems of the world. And so what would those be? What are some value systems? What are some values that this world prizes? We can think of self-accomplishment, self-advancement, self-government and self-rule, right? I am my own God in essence. I call the shots. I do what I want to do. Maybe trying to find your security in your bank account and not in God's provision. Maybe seeking the approval from others and trying to find your own self-worth and how other people view you. In short, what the, what the world values most above everything else, right? What, what the world spends their lives doing is building their own little kingdoms. So they can be their own little gods. But the Apostle Paul says you must no longer walk in this way. In Deuteronomy 12, and again, shameless plug, uh, we are reading through the Bible in a two-year Bible reading plan. And if you don't have a copy of that, there should be handouts in the back foyer. Um, and for those of you who are going through this, we, we are now in Joshua, but we just finished Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12... The Lord instructs the people of Israel what they are to do when they go into the lands that he was going to give them, when they go and conquer the land of the Gentile nations. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, the Lord says this to Israel. He says, destroy completely all the places where the, na where the nations that you're driving out, where they worship their gods. Destroy on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green Tree, tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn their Asherah poles, cut down the carved images of their gods, and wipe out their gods' names from every place. 
In other words, the Lord is saying you must not worship and live like the Gentiles do. Instead, you are to tear down their high places of worship to demonstrate that you are the people of Yahweh. You are the people of the one true living God and that you are a people who are set apart and holy unto the Lord. And so as we reflect on Deuteronomy 12 in our passage this morning, I want to ask you and I want to put this before you, church. What, what, what are the high places maybe within your own heart that you have not torn down? Paul, Paul is reminding us this morning that that towing the line, that living in the light, but still trying to play in the darkness, that this is not to be tolerated. And it's unbecoming of a Christian. Are there any remaining high places within your own heart and your own life where you have not torn down and where you have not yielded to the lordship of Jesus? And maybe we'll continue on verse 18. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the keyword, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You know, you know, there's a saying today, right, that ignorance is bliss. Um, well, well, the furthest couldn't be from the truth regarding ignorance from with God's word. In Luke uh, 23, 34, you'll remember Jesus is on the cross, right? And, and in one of the final seven sayings of Jesus, he, he offers up a prayer to his father. And he says, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they are doing. The, the people who were crucifying they, the, our Lord, they were ignorant to what they were doing, but they were not innocent of their actions. Ignorance does not equal innocence. And so Jesus asks the Father, because of the guilt of their actions, what they were doing, crucifying the Son of God, that the Father would still forgive them. One commentator, he writes, he notes that this ignorance that Paul speaks of, it's a culpable ignorance and so that's why, again, church, we, we want to be a church for our neighborhood. But we also want to be a church that is for the nations, right? There, there still exists 7,400 unreached people groups in our world today, about 3.4 billion people apart that don't have access to the gospel. These are people who are still ignorant to the truth of the gospel, but not innocent in their sin. And so this is why, again, we must pray fervently. We must give sacrificially and we must go obediently to take the gospel. Yes, to our neighborhood. There are many here in our, we, we are no longer, uh, the, 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 the shine is wearing off of the Bible belt here in Oklahoma. And so there are people here in our neighborhood who, who maybe have not heard once before in their lives the true message of the gospel. So we must go forth in our neighborhood and church, we must go forth to the nations with the truth that Jesus saves. Because there are people living in our neighborhood and around the world. Ignorant to the truth of this gospel. But still guilty in their sin. We'll continue on verse 19. Paul says that they have become callous. And they've given themselves over to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And this mirrors what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That, that we're God, we're, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. To impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
And Paul would say in Romans 8 that, that those who live according to the flesh, they cannot please God. That the mind that lives according to the flesh, it's hostile to God. That it's at enmity with God. And that is the condition of our world. And so listen, church, our conduct of life, if this is true, if this is the situation and the reality of our world, our conduct of life must no longer be in sync and recognizable with the world's. For we are now children of light. We are now sons and daughters of God. We are part of a new humanity that that Jesus is creating. Remember Ephesians chapter 2. We are followers not of this world, but we are followers of the way. And we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So I don't know if you, if you remember the analogy that I used a few weeks back. And that, that we don't try to make ourselves worthy of our calling as children of God. Rather we are to live a life in accordance that reflects the worthiness of our high calling. That we have been called to be sons and daughters of God. And as, as I asked you then I ask again. Do you know who you are child of God? You are a child. You are part of the divine royalty And so we need to live as such, live as sons and daughters of God and not try to tip our toes back into the darkness and the corruption of our world. The world, it is darkened in their understanding, but the Holy Spirit, he has illuminated for you the truth of God's word. Paul says they are alienated from the life of God, but you are now partakers in the life of God. Paul says their their hearts are hardened to the things of God, but the Holy Spirit has caused the new birth to happen within you such that now he has taken away your heart of stone and he has given you a heart of flesh. And he has renewed your affections, your desires now to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that that the world, they they live trying to glorify all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity, living for the pleasures of their passions. But but you, church, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been cleansed. And you have been set apart to live a, a life of sexual purity and holiness before the Lord. The reason Paul is pointing out the ways of the world isn't to, to gripe and complain. What he's doing, he's, pulling, he's showing the ways of the world to contrast how we should then live as followers of Jesus. And so I want to ask, how, how do you respond maybe to the wickedness of the world? Do, do, you, do you turn on, uh, yeah, I'll say, do you, do you turn on Fox News and do you just start hearing all the reports and you start grumbling about how our world is going down? Right? Do, do you complain? Do you give yourselves over to the perpetual news of partisan politics, maybe by engaging in negative banter and to vent your disgust of sin. Listen, we should expect the world to walk in the pathways of sin. But listen, church, we have been called to walk in the footsteps of our Savior. Paul would put it this way. He says, what what, what have I to do with judging outsiders like those not in the church? What have I to do judging? Why, why, Why should I waste my time judging people outside the church. He says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside. He'll, he'll, he, he, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He is the perfect judge. But Paul says, purge the evil among you. We, we, our focus is to be on purifying the church, not casting aspersions to the world. It, it is far easier to confront the sins of the world than it is to confront the remaining sin on our own hearts, isn't it? 
If we were as critical with ourselves as we were with the world, I think we would look a lot more like Jesus than we do now. And so I just want to ask, how is your life? How is your heart? How is your thought life? What about maybe those secret areas of your life that no one else knows about, but God does? In those moments when no one else sees, no one else knows. But listen, God knows, and he sees. Are there any areas of your life that are maybe marked by verses 17 through 19? Where you're walking as the Gentiles do, as the world does. I just want to encourage you this morning. Do not give over yourself over to the deceitfulness of sin. Sin, it always, right? It always has a hardening effect on us, as Paul says in our passage this morning. It, it numbs us to the things of God. And while sin always promises, the only thing it can deliver for you is death. And this is what Paul says in verse 19. So as I shared a a few weeks back, maybe I think it was a helpful analogy for some. But but there's a picture of, right, when we play with sin in our own hearts and our own lives, it's as if we're trying to cuddle the cobra, right? We don't cuddle cobras, we kill cobras, right? If you see a cobra striking up, ready to bite you, what do you do? You either flee or you kill. You don't cuddle the cobra. And so it is with sin. Don't cuddle the cobra of sin. Flee, kill what remains within you and pursue true righteousness as our text says. The world, it revels in the dark, right? They're ignorant of and apathetic to the life of God. They rejoice in their sin. They give themselves over to the impurities of their mind and the lust of their flesh, Paul says. But hear God's word this morning, church. Hear what Paul says in verse 20. That is not the way You learned Christ, which leads us to our second point this morning. And that is that we are called to put on our new self. And so I'm just going to, as way of encouragement, I'm going to read just a couple passages for you that encourage us to to pursue our new self in Christ Jesus. First Peter 115, it says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, for you shall be holy as I am holy. And the Apostle John, he would put it this way. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. And so listen, questions, listen, brothers, sisters. The question isn't, do you know about Christ or even can you recite the gospel? No, the question is, have you been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus In his book, Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes of what he calls cheap grace. And I think this this doctrine is very prevalent in our society and within the American church today. And it's a little bit longer quote, so hang with me. Um, but But he says this. He says, cheap grace, it is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal Confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. In, in contrast with that, he says, costly grace, it is the treasure hidden in the field. And for the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has to acquire it. It, it is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, 
for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus at which the disciples leaves his nets, his livelihood, and follows Jesus. He goes on to say, such grace, it is costly because it calls us to follow. But it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man his life. But it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. But it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. But it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for you. And so listen, anyone in the world can hear of Christ and leave unchanged. But it is impossible for someone who has experienced the costly grace of Christ and to remain unchanged. Do you know him? The truth as it is in Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he writes this in in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. He says this, for the grace of God, it has appeared, right? We, We love grace. We want grace. But what is the work of grace within us? He says it has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. As we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that those who are taught in Christ are trained by his grace to renounce Ungodliness to renounce the worldliness that remains within our hearts and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So I want to ask you again, do you know of Christ only or have you been taught in him? Are you resting in the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love for you? And are you walking in his will living in habitual obedience to his commands. If you are a Christian, and if you have heard the news of the gospel, right, that Christ shed his blood to lavish the riches of his grace upon you, when that truth hits us in our hearts, we cannot, we cannot be content to remain in our sin. Because our Savior died to free us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin itself. In First John, I believe, chapter 3, the Apostle John, he says this, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so how did, how did Jesus do that? We did it decisively on the cross, but he continues to do that today, church, within every single one of your hearts. As, as the world, as sin and as Satan is, is um, uh, as you do not give over to the sin, to sin, Satan, and, and in your own life, as you ask Jesus to be the Lord daily of your life, as you renew yourself in the truth of his word, the works of the devil are destroyed within every single one of us. And so having been freed from sin, why then would we crawl back to our old prison Sail for freedom. Christ has set you free. Paul said, therefore, do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery to sin. And so listen, if you have become content to live in your sin, and I, and I think it's true in, in various seasons of life, 
We, we ebb and flow in the Christian life. Seasons when we are pursuing the Lord with great desire, great zeal, great fervency. But then there are other seasons of life, hopefully short, when we do fall back into moments of sin. Right? That's just part of sanctification, the gradual growth in the Christian life. And so if you find yourself in that season, I want to encourage you. Christ has set you free. And hear that truth this morning. And so if you become content to live in your sin, to follow the ways of the world, and if your heart has been hardened to the things of God, then it could mean that you have forgotten the beauty and the reality of his grace toward you. Christ died to save you from your sin. Christ died to give you life. And Christ was raised to give you eternal life. Let his grace hit your heart this morning in such a way that it would soften your heart and remove the hardness of sin within you. The Christian life, it requires a daily putting off and a daily putting on. And so have we been crucified with Christ? Yes. But are you also called to put off your flesh and die to self daily? Yes. Are you a new creation in Christ? Yes. But we are also called to put on the new self and to intentionally pursue righteous living. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so we are called to actively be at work killing our sin. And actively pursuing true righteousness and holiness. But, but, but how does Paul say we do this? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Both the will and the work for his good pleasure. So we daily put on the new self. Because God has made us and he is making us new creations in Christ. One commentator, he put it this way, that we are responsible to live out with all seriousness and energy what God is already doing within us. Or or to put it another way, maybe. The Apostle Paul, he's saying in our passage this morning, become who you are. Become who you already are in Christ. Bring your behavior in alignment to your newfound identity in Christ. That, that your gospel identity should bring forth gospel living. And that's why the Apostle Paul in verse 23, look with me at 20, verse 23. He says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And so put simply, if we are not renewing our minds daily in God's word, regularly in his word, asking the spirit of God to teach us, to convict us, to refine us, to renew us, then we will subtly, the, the, the drift may not be uh, uh, prominent or may not be noticeable in a day, but we will subtly begin to be conformed to the ways of the world. Every day we are be, being conformed to something. And so the question becomes, are we being conformed to this world or are we renewing our minds to be conformed more into the image of Jesus? I want to encourage you, church, to the latter. And, and again, that's why Paul uses this analogy of putting on, right? It's the picture of putting off old clothes, putting on new clothes. It's an intentional, it's a willful, it's a deliberate casting off of our old nature and a putting on of our old, uh, new nature. It is a daily reminder that I have died to myself and my life is hidden with Christ and God. That I am a new creation in Christ and therefore I am not my own. For I have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. 
And, and so since I belong to Christ Jesus now, by God's grace, I am called to now decisively and deliberately crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. To no longer give in to the impulses and the temptations of sin because sin no longer is my master, but Jesus is. And so because I am his now, I am to follow him. And as I follow him, as the good shepherd, he has always promised, he always promises to lead us to good pasture. The thief, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to bring life and life abundantly. He will give us trueness and fullness of life when we follow him. In 1519, the Spanish explorer and conquistador, Hernando Cortez, he decided that he wanted to seize the treasure that the Aztecs had been holding onto in Mexico. And so he took 500 soldiers and 100 sailors, and he landed his 11 ships on the shores of the Yucatan. And so if you've been to Cozumel, Cancun, that's the Yucatan Peninsula. So despite the large army under his command, he was still vastly outnumbered by a huge and powerful empire that had been around for 600 years. And so some of his men, admittedly, were unconvinced of this conquest. And so to make sure that his men were completely committed to his mission in the quest for riches, Cortez did something that seemed completely insane to his troops. He gave, once they reached shore, he gave the order to burn his own ships. His men resisted, wondering how they could even get home. And he responded to that question by saying, if we are going home, we are going home on their ships. The path forward was clear for Cortez. All or nothing. 100% commitment. Conquer as heroes or die. But there was no turning back. And so listen, brothers, why do I share that story with you this morning? I want to encourage you this morning. I want to entreat and to urge you this morning to burn the ships. To quit towing the line to follow Jesus with full hearts, wholehearted devotion, with everything you are and everything you have. Following Jesus, it does demand your unreserved allegiance and devotion. It is an all or nothing, 100% commitment. But listen, this is the paradox of Christianity, that when we die to self, when we burn the ships and we let go of our own self-sovereignty, it is, when, and it is when we begin to kill the sin that remains within us. When we do this, this is when we find true joy, true peace, and abundance of life. So in closing, I want to encourage you to really believe that the Holy Spirit, he lives within you. And then to lean into God's grace. To believe that you have been empowered with resurrection life. Therefore, to put off your old nature and to put on the new self. And I'm going to give you four points of application as we end. First, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray that God would forgive you and give you grace to remove those high places that still remain in your heart. As I've been preparing for this sermon, the Lord has shown me areas in my own heart and my life where I have not, with unreserved allegiance, been following him. What are the high places within your heart still remaining 
tear them down, as the Lord said in Deuteronomy 12. So ask God to forgive you and give you grace to remove them. Ask God to free you from the ensnarements of your old self. Ask that God would renew you in the truth of Jesus daily. That that God would give you a renewed desire for his word. And then finally, ask that God would empower you to put on the new self and to pursue true righteousness. So that's the first application. A lot of sub sub points. Uh, Secondly, I want to encourage you, grieve. Don't gripe at the sin of our world. Right? It's easy for us to be tempted to just complain and complain and complain at the depravity and the darkness all around us. But instead of doing that, let's first grieve the sin of our world. And then let's pray that God would open the eyes of people around us to the truth of the gospel, to the message that Jesus can save them out of that sin and he can give them newness of light. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to go into the darkness with the light of the gospel. When it comes to our culture, let's have a missionary heart, not a magistrate heart. Let's win people to Christ and not seek to condemn people in their sin. And then finally, if you don't yet know Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to step into the light and to trust him for your salvation. The Apostle Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so maybe some of those sins define your life, describe your life. But if that is you, then listen to me this morning. Jesus can bring you freedom from your sin. How do I know that? Because in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, and such were, were some of you. But now you have been washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Those list of sins, they may describe and define you now, but they don't have to any longer if you would give your life to Jesus. There is no sin so great that would keep you from Christ if you would run to him. Today, this morning. Before I knew Jesus, my my life was marked by some of those sins. But Jesus has changed my life. He has given me new life. And he can do the same for you this morning if you would turn to him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.